0: Welcome to the On the Way podcast, a podcast exploring a non violent, non dualistic, compassionate faith life. My name is Dom Fay. Uh, we are back in Peter Cat's office here on a late on a Tuesday afternoon. Lovely to see you, Peter, as always.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Uh, I, the seats we sit on here to do this podcast, I, in my mind, they're never used for anything else. They're oh, just the podcast not. seats.
1: No, they're just the podcast seats. Yeah,
0: lovely. Yes. <laughs> Half of the office dedicated for when we come in here. So <laughs> it's lovely to be back together. Indeed, indeed. Um, and today, where we have uh, a friend of all of ours and of this podcast joining us for the third time. The first time that um, this guest was with us we discussed what prayer is and the human need to pray. Last time we were with her was via Zoom um, at the start of the pandemic, I think the first few weeks or pretty early on at any rate, talking about contemplation in a crisis and the way the pandemic was moving people to quieter lives in some way or another. Today we have a new conversation planned and uh, the joy is that she is here in person, Sarah Bachelard. (laughs) <laughs> um, leader and founder of Benedictus Contemplative Church, among many other things, it is great to be back with you. Thanks, Dom, and hello, everyone. <laughs> nice it is, to be uh, with you. Look, it's so good that you could get on a plane and, and physically be in the room with us. It's I know. It's the small things these yeah, days. Yeah, it's a bit bit strange, still
2: feels a bit odd to be moving into state, but yeah. nice to be out and
0: about. How, how has the, the year been for you? For those who might have heard you on Zoom with us a year ago, how have you been since then? Look, I've been well,
2: Dom, and um, and Benedictus has been well, which is, I guess, an indicator of me being well. Um, <laughs> so uh, I guess like many communities, we went on to Zoom and, uh, again, like many communities, we realised that that enabled more rather than less people to join us and so that's been lovely. And as we've resumed face-to-face services in Canberra, we were able to do that since... Uh, well, we went back October last year, um, but we've maintained a Zoom, a Zoom offering as well, and and we now really feel like we are quite an extended, dispersed mm. community, which is something we would never have discovered if it hadn't been for that.
0: Well, that we we have a, a scope we want to explore together, but I'd love to actually start because I don't think in the two episodes we've had you on that we have explored in, in much detail what Benedictus actually is, why it is different, you know, how it is different to a normal church, what it is that you centre yourselves around. Could you just speak a little bit about this community? Sure. Well, Benedictus is, um,
2: we call ourselves Benedictus Contemplative Church and and describe ourselves as a ecumenical worshipping community with a practice of silent meditation at the heart. And so... Um, we began nine years ago or so, and I guess um, what makes us perhaps a little different is that sense that as part of every service, we have 15 minutes of silent meditation, and we, and we, it's not just that we meditate in the service, but we seek to structure everything about the life of the community around a kind of contemplative practice and awareness and some of the contemplative charisms such as discernment um, and charisms. I mean, these obviously apply more broadly, not just to contemplative church, but um, we're seeking to explore what a community that has that kind of a practice at its heart might make available for people who come, but also for for more broadly.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's um, it's a lovely concept, a lovely idea. Every time I've heard about it, I, I keep on thinking I've got to get to Canberra one day and, and uh, because I think there is a sense, and I've heard you speak about this a number of times before, that a lot of people's inherent allergic reaction, and I love that phrase that you use a lot, allergic reaction to religion, to Christianity, is all the thoughts and words and beliefs that you're expected to have or say or, or hold. And it seems that the starting point for Benedictus is practice and and sort of a shared silence it's a it's a Hmm. how do you describe to people the difference of that approach well i think um i think that's
2: a good way of describing it that that there's there is practice at, at the heart and that people can come who may not know what they think about christianity or whether they're fully in or fully out or or they may be recovering from bad experiences of the church and we do have a liturgy around it a simple liturgy so there are some words and obviously there's a theology implicit in all of that but in the in the silence that's something that people can enter just as they are without without feeling like they're having to mentally cross their fingers a this bit of the creed or that bit of the Mm -hmm. (laughs) prayers like that's a kind of a a very much a a sharing of something and and i think that as we do that together that that just provides a different basis on which we then start to grow as a community uh, Mm -hmm. because there is that shared responsiveness to the reality that's there before us this you know and some are more comfortable than others calling that god but i call that god in the service and people seem to cope but 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 there's that sense of um we're there to encounter this this something that that's prior to us and so then rather than starting with well we all believe this and do you happen to agree with us we're we're actually starting from a space of just availability and receptivity and Mm. And then there's a kind of freedom for people to say where they are or aren't and no one feels anxious about that. I, I don't get the sense that there's some in the community who are worried about this other person in the community who may not be fully where they are because no one's sort of threatened theologically. There's just oh. a sense of being able to enter. We're all entering into something and we're trusting people to
0: to enter into that in, the, in their own way and pace i suppose it's harder to be furious at someone for not being silent in the same way that you (laughs) would be silent it's a different starting point yeah
2: yeah that's right and um i think people sense then a kind of a freedom to to be honest about where they are and and from that space of honesty and unthreatenedness well then then you can actually grow whereas if you're feeling like tacitly I've got to pretend I'm somewhere that I'm not quite sure I am there's no room to grow really and and rightly or wrongly I think a lot of people have that experience of of past experiences of church where they feel like they haven't quite been a paid up member like this other person has and and they
0: feel a bit inhibited yeah. yeah, I suppose it's a great way to start our conversation today because we have been talking um, a little bit via emails day by day, Sue, so Peter and I, about what we we wanted to share a conversation with you about um, having you back with us for, for the third time and hearing every time I've heard you speak about Benedictus and I know that both um, here at the Cathedral and at Sue's Stretch in Indooroopilly. Um, morning prayer groups and meditation groups. That these are big parts of the community. Mm. I know that practice does seem to be connecting with people, and we see this outside of the church. You know, we see that meditation groups start up, yoga groups start up. Yeah, there is this this deep awareness of a desire to practice. And what I originally said via the email to Sue and Peter was, I would love to, to explore discipline as an idea in the podcast today. The main reason for that being that it's a common sentiment. Um, that I hear and that I feel like I hear from others, this sense that they don't practice enough. They, yeah. I know I feel well when I journal, or I know I feel well when I meditate, I know I feel well when whatever this practice I have is, but I don't. I've only done it once in the past month. Why? Why don't I? I have the time. I know it makes me well. Why am I not doing it more? And so that was originally where I was going. But um, Sue, so I might, I might throw to you on this particular one because as we started shifting and and sort of sharing this conversation and where it might lead i know that you brought up a really valid point that because people say this a lot i'm sure you've heard the sentiment a lot that idea that oh i wish i practiced more how can i practice more but it's it's something to be a bit cautious of do you is that a fair way to, a fair thing to say i guess it's, it's
3: um it's a lot. Everyone wants to think they they're going to practice more, and I think to be cautious of because you end up beating yourself up when you don't pr- do what you what your aspirations are to to be this super meditator or super prayer. Um and then you constantly walk around with a sense of spiritual failure. Uh, so that's one of the traps. You know, mm. I, I think the other part of the trap is that. Um, we were talking before and saying we, we don't actually allow enough for our, our natures to, to learn new practices, to understand we have routines, we have bodies that sometimes that, that get tired, that um, have to fit in normal things, that, that get distracted. And so um, we actually can pitch quite high standards for ourselves without taking into account the natural rhythms mm. of our bodies. So I think Learning to be gentle with ourselves on um, where we've failed, or in, in inverted commas, failed in our perception, mm. uh, but also to recognize. I know myself. I, I, I did learn this, learn some different spiritual practices for some great teachers. Um, learning different practices of imaginative contemplation, particularly from the Jesuits, discernment of spirits, that kind of beautiful practices, meditation. You know, all gorgeous things. Um, but did I do it enough? No. Um, like you, Dom, I was like, I know this makes me feel better, but why don't I do it? Uh, but you know, one thing is, as you get older, you can have this, this capacity to reflect back. And I know absolutely that when it started to kick in for me as a serious practice was because when I had no other choice, when I felt when, when life was difficult or painful, Mm. And um, in order to keep living, this was something I needed. Now, I had the advantage that I did know the practices and I had something to reach for in a toolkit when the chips were down. Um, and, And so that was hugely important. So I think there is benefit in talking about the practices for that reason. But I think you can't take away that life um, need from the idea of spiritual practices and keep it as some sort of just hacks for life because yes, it doesn't yes. work, you know. But we actually, where it meets our deepest human needs, that's when we start to feel where, where the power of discipline really can be.
0: Yeah, you're right because I think there is this human desire um, to, to pull this practice out, plug it into my life and now that it's plugged into my life, I will be more whole and happy every day. And really, it's like, all right, I went to the gym this morning. I got my work done all day, and now I meditate, and that means I'm physically, spiritually, mentally healthy. Off we go. It is. It is. You mentioned life hacky. It can. It can easily fall into this idea of oh, how do I, why aren't I disi- more disciplined? Why don't I do this more? Can fall into a life hacky thing. So I'm interested to know, Sarah. Um, How do you – what would – because I imagine you'd come across at Benedictus and in your work people who are looking for a life hack or, you know, I think, oh, meditation, that could be my life hack. What's your response to that? Yeah,
2: I I think I encounter it more often in what Sue was first sharing, which is people confessing to me that they're not as good a meditator as they should be or not as regular, you know, and they kind of like think I'm going to – you know they just have to let me know that and 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 and, um and of course i always say well look you know we pray as we can not as we can't and 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 there's no sense of you know ranking each other um and i'd also agree really resonate with Sue's. Um, experience that it's 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 when you can't not do it that you that you really actually enter into the, the practice and that was certainly how I again I'd known about meditation I'd done it on and off and then there was a moment when it's like i, I got nothing else here and and that was the moment where I I really committed to it um and I I think the, the the dynamic that you were describing dom of oh i went to the gym i did my meditation i mean that that's a kind of the risk of all of that is that the spirituality then is just another project of the ego and it's this mm. kind of self-improvement thing where i know i'm i'm fit in every dimension and <laughs> <laughs> very attractive to you know whoever i want to be attracted to so, so it's, it's it's kind of yeah so and again i guess people we all start as we start, and sometimes it's that way and then you know about a practice and then you come at it differently when the chips are down or when, you, when you're really in that place of poverty. Uh, so I don't think there's a rightness or a wrongness about mm. any of that. Um, but I guess what I think of in terms of the, the, the weekly practice at Benedictus well, we're just going to be there and that's what we're going to do. And we'll do that for 15 minutes a week and we'll all do it together. We won't just tell you to meditate when you're at home. We'll actually do it together. And at least if you come, you'll have done it once a week and maybe that starts to become a resource for you. And then there comes a point in your life where actually mm. it's, the, it, it's the time. But I don't – and I think there is that element of Kairos time in, 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 a, in a discipline really taking hold of someone. And it's not for an outsider to, to force that on someone.
0: Yeah, it's such a... I think about when you mentioned about spiritual practices becoming another project of the ego. I remember somebody once telling me, I was at a church when I was younger and they said, listen to how egoically people will talk about their devotional life. And I actually saw this in my youth group growing up where we'd be asked about the Bible study we were all doing and the person who could answer the most questions from their Bible study would get to pick a lolly out of the big thing of lollies. <laughs> so the reason that I was reading my Bible study was not because I needed it to to be okay in the world, but because I knew I'd be getting a lolly on Friday night if I read the Bible. And I do think there is this, this um, I don't know, it is almost like a desire to... The, the thing that the, the practice exists to help you move through can sometimes be the thing that can go, oh, that practice, I could get really good at that. And everyone would respect me for being good at that. And then not only would everyone talk about me as being high achieving, but also really grounded and with the universe. So it is, it, I guess it's a tricky one. And I, I think it's just, the reason I wanted to start the conversation here was because when we're talking about discipline, which we will explore a little bit here, I think, and and you know why these practices can be really helpful. When we're talking about them, i think it's it is so important as you said so it's so important to know from the start this isn't about a life hack this isn't saying people are going to be more impressed if you do these this isn't saying so run out and you know buy yourself one of those singing bowls or whatever they are for meditation tomorrow you get all the kit that you need and get into it it's just um i suppose exploring the fact that that humans have the tendency to do that and instead, that the, there's there's other ways. You need to go. You need to go deeper than that. Is that is that a good way to, to start? You need to go deeper than that. Yeah.
3: So I guess it's deeper. It's also um, the liberating. Um, facet of discipline you know that discipline is not a bad word that disciplines as we develop them and really lean into them just show up as sarah's saying we just started you, know, you show up and we'll, we'll be here mm. um and lean into the discipline of it and actually you find it gives you it gives you life it uh it leads to to greater flourishing whereas an undisciplined life um it can not only be chaotic but in in inner life and outer life but uh it it doesn't um enrich your life and actually have that level of of liberation from some of the things that haunt us and and bind us up
0: yeah Uh, i think um i'll just briefly on my own experience maybe because this i think this will be relatable to a, a lot of people listening I I know. I guess I noticed how when I have been where you were talking about Sue and Sarah, that place where I felt I needed it, I have meditated often. I have made these times in my day. I there's a park near my place, and when I was really struggling, I would make sure I was there at sunset every day, and I would sit quietly as the the sun would go down. But then when you start to feel a bit more okay in the world again, and you don't feel the agonizing pain that perhaps propelled you into that. You sort of think, okay, don't need that anymore, move on through. What I'm curious is, you know, from the three of you as people who really, uh, through work I suppose, are committed to practices but in your personal lives too. what What is it that keeps you there? Because I know when, with meditation there's days where it does nothing. There's days where you sit there and you think you're just busy-minded you and then you'll even think, oh, that, nothing happened there for 20 minutes. What is it that keeps you in?
2: I, I guess... And look, there are days I still miss, you know, so it's it's you know maybe it connects back to the conversation about we often start these things out of a bit of an egoic project, and really, we can't start anywhere else because that's actually how how we how we do anything, like that's where we <laughs> are. It seems to me that I guess the mark of an authentic practice is that the practice itself leads you past that. Mm so it, it if you're actually doing it even if you start that way I'll you know there comes a moment where you realize oh you, you can see it you can see how you do, you know and that's itself starts to shift the way you do it and and as that or engage it and and as that happens then it becomes less about what am I getting out of it or did I just have a spiritual experience or not or and it in, in a sense it 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 is its own reason and and once that starts to happen once that shift starts to happen then it just has become this organic part of you that you do need maybe not in the same way when you were kind of desperate um and that that's what kind of kick-started you into it but you also become aware or I've become aware that there's a level of 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 my spirit and and being that that does need this all the, all the time, mm. and so I wouldn't even though I do miss days or I you know uh, things happen like for everybody you but but ultimately I'm I'm not going to give it up because it has become a kind of a bedrock practice.
1: Mm. I think one thing, Dom, is when you need intensive care, it's okay to have it. So when you do need those times, when we all need those times, when you need to go and sit in the park every day at sunset to get through it, it's okay that you only did that when you really needed to do it. You don't have to do that for the rest of your life. So I I think we actually do have times and seasons, and we actually have times of deep need, and we have to look after ourselves and 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 then we have to look at look after ourselves as we come out of it as well so that we don't say well that becomes the benchmark therefore I have to attain to that for the rest of my existence Um, I think the other thing is that we we are creatures of habit Mm -hmm. It's part of being a social animal and we have all sorts of habits in our lives that help us actually get through our lives you know that's why mealtimes tend to be at more or less the same time every day and our work patterns and our sleep patterns and if you've had children you know that if you put them into a routine everyone is happier so if they go to bed at about seven o'clock at night rather than quarter to six tonight five past ten tomorrow night you know we all know that and we, and again as Sarah said you can break that habit you know you, you end up going out and everyone gets home at 10 o'clock and you know you're going to live with the consequences of. but you live with the fluidity of life but in the end you also have your need for deep habits and I think one of the things we're trying to advocate for here is being aware of the habits that are driving us because we all have healthy habits and unhealthy habits and part of this is learning an habitual way of looking after ourselves because one of the gifts of habit is that it takes the effort out of it and so if you find yourself being drawn into you know i've been praying the daily office so long now that when i miss it i don't miss it because at half past eight on the day in the morning my brain somewhere deep in here somewhere the opening canticle for morning prayer goes blah and I can't remember it any other day I can only remember Wednesdays on Wednesday it's it is bizarre but it's also beautiful it means that that the habit I'm actually no longer praying I'm being prayed by the daily office and so the habit the habit is so deep in me that it takes over and it sustains me so there are the days when I feel like I can't pray but I get prayed by the daily office Um, And so I think part of what we're just needing to remind ourselves about is that human beings will have habitual practices no matter what. And then, so are our practices good ones, healthy ones or not? And it takes a huge amount of time to shift habits. So this idea that we somehow are going to we're going to start praying every day. Well, that's a great thing, but you're not going to pull it off the first time because for the last, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life, you haven't been praying at that time of the day. You've been doing something else. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and it's the it's the part of our being that the poker machine designers and the the you know the online gamers and the games on phones know about us. That we can become deeply habituated into playing those things. So, one of the things I know about myself is that I do not play games on computers, phones, or iPads because otherwise it just takes over. So, you know, I've had to learn that about myself. So, I don't do that and I've, I've tried to build other habits, but it is actually doing the work of building the habit. And it takes time. You just have to be also gentle with yourself, as Sue said. You know, let's be gentle with ourselves as we move through this and have your times of intensive care, but don't figure you've got to do that for the rest of your life.
3: I think this is about being deeply realistic about our human condition. And so habits are one thing, you know, and Peter's right. As soon as it's a habit, it it takes away the hard work from it. Once it's established, it's just – it becomes this reflexive thing. Um, So that's one human human need that we need to meet. But I think the other thing is actually being deeply realistic about human desires and longings. And if we're going to – for me and I probably wouldn't have given this answer straight at this when I started meditating but the reason the thing that you ask, what what returns us to it now it's it's actually connection now um and that deep you know it's, it's love of the people I meditate with um and mostly I am meditating with other people now but you know, even when you're meditating by yourself, it's actually a deeply embodied experience. It's some; it's not some spiritual thing. It actually is very embodied, and so it's a time to actually be aware of my presence on this planet, um, my belonging on this planet. I think so many people suffer from a sense that they don't actually belong. Um, my belonging on this planet, along with all the other th- life on this planet, and that uh, it's about the cords of connection to God god and me and to everyone else who may or may not be in the room with me and it's that hum that's low hum of connection and life and love that i think for me is the biggest straw of why i meditate
0: it's interesting you say that so speaking about the egoic need and then i guess that deeper need for connection I feel like I've had a number of days where I, I've woken up maybe with the initial of going, "Oh, I need to meditate today." It's been a few weeks, and then when I notice that thought, I go, "Oh, I really need to meditate today." The fact that my ego thought, "Hey, what are you doing? You, you, if you're going to be one of the wiser ones, you should be meditating more," you know, that made me go, "Oh gosh, I actually do need to meditate today." If that was my initial thought, so there is, I guess, there is an interesting thing in that, um, as you said, knowing our, our humanity and and the way these things are going to emerge I, I, something i'd love to ask all three of you though and clearly sarah it is what you've built the community around but as i mentioned i know both of your your parishes at the cathedral and in intrapil have meditation groups how important is it to do this together how important is it to do this in some aspect alongside others because if we're talking about discipline if we're talking about practice how important is it to to do this in community rather than just you know in in one room of the house by yourself
3: Uh, well i think relationships everything relationship is the is the truth and if we're trying to look for life meaning you cannot you cannot find life meaning outside of relationship and so the i mean you can certainly meditation is a practice that that I, i will meditate on my own too it's it's part of the we need to we all have a basic need to have the silence and the solitude sometimes as well to go into our cave uh but ultimately, that even that is not a removal from others. You know, that's actually a way of staying engaged with other people. Uh, so I think it's it's never it's not a, I think the, the basic thing. This is not about individualism. It's 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 actually meditation is a practice that um, destroys the myth of individualism and in our by practicing daily a, a connection. I think.
2: Hmm. I mean, John Main. Uh, the founder of the World Community for Christian Meditation, one of his sayings that's always quoted is that meditation builds or creates community and I think that's right for the reasons that Sue's outlining that that because it connects us to ourselves at a, at a, at a deeper level, at the level beyond self-improvement and self-image and all of that and and connects us to, to that kind of the hum that is the life of God, it also then awakens our connectedness to others at that deeper level. And so that when you meditate with people you you begin to kind of relate to them at a, at that deeper level, not just the superficial level of you know. Um, and I think that makes a that that's that's the church really. That that's the that's the kind of level at which we're kind of can um can meet one another and, and co-create one another if if we're if we we're, we're all kind of sinking together to that to that deeper substratum of our connection is how i think of it that's lovely yeah, yeah
0: that's really lovely imagery i uh, it's interesting isn't it i heard richard raw recently talking about his contemplative meditative practice and now uh, he said he's noticed in his life that he wakes up every day and no matter how beautiful the day before was no matter how connected he felt he said every morning it is a little bit like someone's hit a reset button and thoughts and emotions and stuff just is running wild again and he said, really, all that is for me is about just bringing me back. You mm. know, that's, it's mm. not about, um, you know, this whole sense that now I'm this more enlightened person. It's just, oh, well, you know, the reset button's been hit overnight. So now I've got this anxiety weirdly about that event I'm doing next week. And I'm really frustrated with that person. I, I need to do this to sink, as you said, sink back, mm. sink back constantly. It is, is that the the idea of a discipline is that, this world and this life is always going to bubble back up again, so the practice is the thing that helps you sink back down daily.
2: Yeah, I think that's right, and or the, the and there are different metaphors. Like as you were speaking, I see another metaphor that John May uses is that of polishing a mirror. So his image of of the kind of the way the the anxieties or the distractions of, the, of life. Come in as they kind of tarnish the surface of the mirror, and then meditation is about polishing so that you can actually see clearly again. So, but, but personally, I probably do resonate more with the sinking metaphor. You know, that sense of going back to the <laughs> back to the ground. Yeah, I think that's right. There's something, and this is this this is a mystery. I don't I don't know how it's why it's like this, but there does seem to be something which there is a constant drag towards perhaps defendedness anxiety um, misperception like somehow life seems to take us <laughs> into a towards unreality and yeah, this is yes. a discipline which enables us to be reconnected again to to reality and then to live out of that energy again for, the, for another day or at least more closely (laughs) connected to that
1: I certainly found that meditating in a group helped me learn how to meditate and meditation uh, by myself in inverted commas uh, after that became a way of connecting back into that experience of corporate thing and um and I think I think one of the things we struggle with, particularly in the West, is this idea of the self being separate. And I remember Sister Angela at Stroud when I was talking to her in very early days when I was a theological student and sort of really just beginning to learning about meditation. And she would have us meditate as a group at the monastery. And she said John Main talks about the spirit. Um, in a meditating group that's a spirit, it just becomes like a whirlwind going from person to person and it becomes like this spiritual vortex. And one of the things I realised um, reflecting on that image was that you're no more distant sitting in your own room from a group of people who are doing that than you are when you're sitting together. I mean, there's, there's a connection that is, is not to do with spatial separation. Um, and so the spatial separation becomes the illusion or or, the, or a manifestation of the illusion that somehow we are separate from one another. And um, I was also helped by quantum physics sort of the realization that everything is so interconnected that this idea that somehow I can actually be separated from anything is just uh, a fant- fantastical thinking of the West. And so now when I meditate by myself, I have this deep sense of being connected with the meditating community across the world, whoever's meditating. it, And it's like the daily office too. You you might say the office by yourself, but you also have a sense that somewhere else in the world, someone else is praying the office as well. So there's like this this constant um, prayer and constant meditation. And so... When we're doing it by ourselves we're not we're we're still connected with all these other people and um, for me it was like an image of i started in a small group of you know at the monastery at stroud with three or four of us meditating together and then the, the the circle just kept on getting bigger and bigger and i'm still in the circle no matter where i meditate and that's a beautiful image of connection
0: yeah, no, that's, that is lovely. And it is, I suppose, in a culture, you mentioned the lie of, the lies of the West that we've come to believe. It is such a purely rational, literal culture. Um, and perhaps that, that lets us have a little compassion for ourselves and our egoic, life-hacky need to initially try to connect to meditation through because, as, as you said, that's the only way that we know how to connect. That's the only way that we know how to start anything in this yeah. world is literally rationally, how is this gonna help me? How will this help me look better, be better, whatever it might Mm. be? Yeah. And that might be how we initially come to the yeah. thing but then the thing is the thing that helps us move through that is that uh, I don't know if that's making sense is that yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely I, I, th- yeah. I
3: think it is and I think what you're, you're talking about the how is this going to make me look better feel better be better that's tapping into all those rivalries that we are yep. so enculturated into accepting as normal and when you talk yep. about waking up in the morning and all those thoughts rushing in a lot of those are, uh, are thoughts that have their basis in rivalry yes. how am I yes. going to yes. perform at that event next week or this person yep. That got in the way of me wanting to do what I wanted to do, um, and and they're all the the things that do come rushing at us um, because we have this habituated competition and um, separateness, you know. So we have to, what meditation, I think, or other, you know, just practices of prayer. It's it's also that when I was talking about longings before, you know, if we're going to live in community, our longings are going to come on into contradiction with one another yep. at some point. And so how do we manage that kind of stuff? And you can run away and you go, community's too hard. I'm going to take the bolt and and go off and live my individualistic life and try and get myself a, a bigger house and a nicer car. Or you can go, we go in deeper, you lean into it. And you actually find beyond that place where you where you just see this mess of, contradictory longings you can find a deeper place it's actually more love you know you apply more love not less love you know and where there is a deeper love where actually those desires can be coordinated and because you get to this ocean of mercy is the only thing that changes it i think we sort of that as you surrender yourself you realize you everyone and everyone else is doing the same thing in meditation that self-surrender you come with the mercy that we all need and step into that ocean of mercy and and somehow in in these practices then they can start to coordinate coordinate these competing longings and the rivalries can can slide away and um the the connection becomes the, and becomes the keynote
0: instead of our difference hmm. yeah that's that's a really beautiful image because i know that um I actually it's been a touchstone sort of memory for me was the first time you joined us sarah for an episode i don't know if it was 2018 maybe 2019 uh, somewhere around that time when you're up here in brisbane and we were on i was on my way to to meet you all at um the university of queensland there was where this this thing you were speaking at was was held and for those who don't know brisbane it's a very pretty area of of brisbane st lucia where the university of queensland is i was running half an hour early And I had this thought of, oh, I'm about to do an episode on prayer and meditation and I don't think I've meditated in months. So I'm just going to take this time and sit in the car. And I remembered um, for the first 10 minutes of just sitting there quietly, I kept thinking what a fraud I was. How could I host a podcast about this and go, yeah, this is really helpful when I have not done it for six months. What a joke. People are going to pick up on this. And then, you know, it started to ease. And then by the end, the only thing I could say clearly was I was hearing birds and I was noticing birds and I wasn't noticing birds and hearing birds beforehand. And so there is this bizarre thing where like, you know, to, that, that initial element, Sue, of accepting, accepting that there, stuff's going to flood at you. And, and as you said, Sarah, it's a bizarre way the universe is ordered <laughs> that you keep getting pulled back. Something keeps pulling you back, pulling you back, pulling you back. You can see the desire, I suppose, of some people in some traditions to just sit quietly on a mountaintop their whole life and, you know, just stay in that space because they don't want to get drawn back anymore. Um, but you, I don't know, how do you how do you resist that, I don't know, that, that desire to just only ever be in that space, if that makes sense? Because you, ha- you have to also be in this world, the world that is dragging you back. So how do you get the balance?
2: Well, I... I- I guess the thing is, and I'm sure that there's you know some people who sit on mountaintops or caves, and that's that's their vocation, and 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 they're doing that is is a kind of gift to the whole as a kind of conti- a, a continuous prayer, or like Buddh- Buddhists might talk about a kind of resonance that gets going, and and but if but if it's just out of a desire not to be tainted or pulled back or whatever. Then I guess that would that would just be another form of the kind of spiritual possessiveness, where I, I've I've attained some kind of state that I think of as <laughs> nirvana, and now I'm going to hang on to it, you know, and 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 that again would be a kind of a I guess um, I, I think most traditions would understand that as a kind of a false uh, a false resting place uh, because it's got that element of attachment and possessiveness and, and hanging on to something for myself so I, I think it's actually it is to do with the kind of the how, how how do we live with this flow well it's partly about accepting accepting that this this is the flow and and not not dividing not categorizing our experience oh this was a good spiritual experience and this is a bad worldly yeah, experience yeah, that i'm yeah. having you know it's that that again yeah. is part of this dichotomizing yeah, the thing isn't it yeah, yeah that's right so it's yeah. so it's i wonder if it's more about we we enter into the you know the joys and the duties and all of that the work of the world we we then we seek to reconnect to the the deep springs and then as we do that we we hopefully bring some of that into the work in the world which just you know subtly shifts its character or whatever and then we come back and so without this kind of classification all the time of the quality of our you know this was spiritual this wasn't Uh, it's about the transformation of the whole and here's a practice which which enables me to go back in in a different way
3: can I say also I hate that word balance? It's one of my yeah, you know yeah. fine I agree. Words. No, it's, it's such a destructive mm, this mm.
1: polar. Yeah. Trying to find that balance in between two poles is like crazy.
0: I'm very sorry for you use No,
1: no, <laughs> but, yeah, but your story was really lovely because you actually started off with sort of the whole ego thing mm. about I, you know, me being the fraud. You know, you. You actually having your ego was having a conversation with itself about how it, <laughs> it needed to be more authentic and you're beating yourself up. And within a very little while, you've actually all you're doing is attending to birdsong. Yes, yeah, yes. That's a beautiful story about how mm-hmm. and I, and I, 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 I was at something on the weekend and I said, We all need to really um, start saying because we like to think that we can escape ego we all need to just say you know hello my name is peter i have an ego uh, we belong to egotists anonymous uh, let's accept that, oh, that is and brilliant. then and then and sit sit with that and then move let ourselves be drawn past that mm. Mm. rather than thinking yes. that we can we yes. can you know cuz one of the most egotistical things that we do is say that we can transcend our ego. Yes. I mean, you know, for goodness sake, you know, who are we? What are we? We are embodied uh, people, persons, and we have an ego. I mean, you, 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 and so you, it's owning it and allowing ourselves to be moved through it and, with, and take ourselves take ourselves so you actually took yourself to that beautiful place where your ego was experiencing birdsong Mm. you weren't transcending ego as such we just we no longer focused on ego but it was still there dom was there and I think I think we just got to get far more realistic about who we are what we are um, and that embodied experience is real that our and, and that it is embodied not just it's not just pretty thoughts i mean that's one of the things um and accept it you know, hmm. rejoice in being human for goodness sake yeah. and let the spirituality come out of that rather than be something despite that yeah you know.
2: yeah and, and i i think again that story don part of what it suggests and this is always a surprise to me is actually how little time we need to spend yeah in in you know a bit of silence or a bit of paying attention to a tree or a bird or something that's not our ego how little time it takes actually to shift the energy so often we think oh i don't have time to meditate but you just sat in a car for 10 minutes and totally shifted the energetic space that you were in in the in the course of a day that's not a lot of time yeah but really something's happened you know and and so again but it's quite ordinary it's it, you know it's just an ordinary thing it comes back to what also what we we're talking about on the weekend about attending that
3: you know that you, you were describing moments of being uh, attentive to what life is happening and getting back to that horrible word balance you know the 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 worst expression of that is people saying work-life balance you know for goodness sake as if you know this is the part that you're living and the other part what are you doing there and and that's a desire to actually control it and divide it say i can control it like this instead of attending to the whole thing yeah
1: and that life doesn't have to that work doesn't have to be life-giving so you put up with it and you have your life outside work i mean that is such a destructive way of understanding how a, a whole heap of our life gets spent. I mean, yeah, for goodness sake. Yeah. That's hugely destructive. And it's nihilistic. It's sort of wishing ourselves away.
0: So I suppose these practices. Oh by the way, I just need to say, Peter, Egotist anonymous is definitely something that should be started. <laughs> if there was an Egotist anonymous group, <laughs> I would I would sign up to that. Well, <laughs> my ego would love it because then I'd be the one who's trying to work on it.
1: Um, you'd have the best ego in the group.
2: <laughs> my only question is whether the egos would really want to be anonymous or they would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's here we go rabbit hole
0: (laughs) (laughs) the idea lasted a good few minutes we might have found the the kill switch unfortunately there but it it is i guess it is it is really interesting i guess when you think about meditation not as something that as, as you mentioned you fit into your balance but as a thing that actually reframes you know shifts the reality or the eyes you're seeing with to the point that you're not trying to find this equilibrium equilibrium and balance anymore but instead you are just i don't know the only thing that seems really clear to me from when in the parts of my life where i have clearly had um you know made practice a part of my life has been that the small doesn't seem small anymore and the big seems disinteresting in a sense and i know that um You know, someone who grew up very ambitious and egoic and wanted to go and succeed and achieve, there was this sense that I really wanted to be significant or felt this desire to be out there. And then when I was practicing more, I just, I didn't want to be, you know, in the bright lights. I just wanted to talk to my dad. Or I just wanted to, do you know what I mean? There's this sense where it returns you to the
3: small and the intimate. Well, it's not just the small, it's returning to relational because the way you just told that story was I was going to be someone big and my own might be an individual success, but instead I wanted to return and be with my dad. So you actually defined the return as being relational.
0: Yeah. And I I think that's the, um, I guess that maybe is the paradox at the very beginning that we were talking about is that this can't be a life hack. Discipline can't be a life hack. Because when it's a life hack, it's trying to support the system that it is helping you, you know, shift out of, or or not even shift out of, but sink beneath again and again and again. As I've heard you use the phrase before, Sarah, um, find what's at the bottom of reality, return to what's at the bottom of reality. And that idea of sinking back to what's at the bottom of reality is so beautiful and so important to, to, to me. How, what, what, how would you put it? What is at the bottom of reality? What do you find when you sink down?
2: Oh, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll,
0: you've got as long as you need. <laughs> Take a couple of hours. We'll all get ourselves a cup of tea. <laughs>
2: yeah. Gosh. I'm, I don't even remember using the phrase, so that's how <laughs> I disconnected. This is a good <laughs> one. I like it. Well, I guess. Uh, uh, I mean, th- I don't mean this to sound a bit like a the- I, this. This might sound like a theological cop out, and I don't mean it to sound clever. But uh, there's that sense of that 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 nothing <laughs> is at the bottom of reality, like like no thing, like like n- as in n- nothing that you could get your handle on or, or or describe or whatever, and 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 that that's God. So so, I yeah. So I don't I don't feel like I can say anything about it really, except to say that there, that that metaphor that we've used about about sinking into something or, or or feeling yourself more grounded in something or supported on something, all of that is part of the embodied experience of it for me. Um, and that, that there's a kind of stability about that in terms of where you live your life from. But it's it's never something that, oh, right, I've got a handle on that now. Like, it's, it's not like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I suppose then as we move towards the the end of this conversation, and I've loved it's been a, a, a bit more free flowing, you know, without a clear direction. I think when a guest comes back for the third time, we have the <laughs> the freedom to um to you know explore some areas, you know, maybe with a bit more depth and um, and breadth. But I, if we were speaking to someone, if you were speaking to me, Sarah, you know, uh, me at the start of the conversation, who said i want to practice more how do i become more disciplined what do i do you know that that and maybe it's egoic and maybe it's part of that whole you know that that poor line that everyone knows of why do i do the things i don't want to do that whole sentiment of oh i keep seeing that i do this how do i not how do i become disciplined and practice more for people who are listening in that space today at this moment what what would you say to that space
2: Well, that's another one of those <laughs> very big questions um, I guess I'd want to just have a bit of a conversation about you know what what life is like and what is your life like, and maybe what do you th- what you find gets in the way um I guess I would want to again it's a, it's a relational conversation rather than a than a well here's my three-point plan for getting yeah. a discipline it's because different things are at work in in different people and yeah. Peter
1: oh, I yeah. disagree I'm I agree wholeheartedly I think it's it's up to if someone comes with that question, one has to then go on a journey with them to hear what their life story is and why they've asked the question in the first yeah, place. Yeah, that's right. And What are you really looking what for? What are you really looking for? And live into the question. You know, It's that Rilke idea of you live into the question and they they will discover what they need to discover by living into the question. And so at first it might be, driven by something as simple as I've heard a lot about meditation I should be meditating I'll go to the guru at the Benedictus community and she will give me the three-point plan but if you go on the journey with them it may be that they've already got some deep contemplative practice because they're a gardener and they spend hours gardening or walking or and sometimes it's just helping people understand that their life is not as barren as they might have been told it is, because again, we have this dichotomy thing of, you know, and the church does it all the time, you know, as if we give people God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a, a much better way is actually doing what sarah said you go on the journey with them and you discover that god's been at work in their life surprise surprise since before they were born and that they have their own narrative and they do have their own spirituality and because we teach people to discount their own experience but if you live into the question and live into the life then something will you know they will discover something and they'll discover the discipline that's right for them because from people, you know, some some people go absolutely stir crazy sitting around meditating, but if they go for a walk and they end up in a body sort of meditative state, mm. they can do the most amazing acts of meditation while they're walking fifteen kilometres. Mm. Uh, for other people it's a walking fifteen kilometres is deadly. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm.
2: yeah, I think that's right. And and trusting I guess it's that trusting that that well something's brought you to the question, even, yeah. and that yeah. it's it's kind of like like you said, Peter, it's like enabling people to trust the journey that they are on, which might not look like the idealized picture of the journey that they've picked up because you know they listen to a podcast with some alleged <laughs> guru talking about meditation. <laughs> <laughs>
3: i think you're absolutely right though in saying they've got as far as the question they've already traveled a long way because i know the first time i was introduced to sitting this is decades ago Sitting in silence for prayer, which is prayer had been for me in the tradition I was in, just a lot of talking to God and asking for things. The first time I sat in silence, I started crying, and I thought it was the strangest thing. But, but I didn't even have any awareness of the need, and that's that's the the, the problem. Sometimes that our life can we can keep on going so fast, and we're attending to the next thing, and the next thing. Those thoughts that are rushing in the morning are actually what are dictating our whole day. And so when I was put in this situation, it was part of a course. I just it, it completely threw me the first time. And I've seen it happen to other people now and I always have to resist the, the temptation to go, oh, that happened to me. You know? <laughs> but, you know, I, I think if you've got as far as the question, yeah. you've probably already travelled a mile and it's about just attending to where that beautiful hum in your life is. Where are those connections? Where are, are you noticing the life and, and how can you give some more energy
0: to that? and and practice together it seems from everything you're all sharing find somewhere where you can practice together is probably a great way to you know i don't know not not to lock yourself into it you're going to definitely be here every week because people know you're going to be here but that certainly i know from my experience it's a lot easier to start together it's a lot easier to be with others rather than to sit in the you know corner of of, as i said earlier sit in the corner of a room and then go ah this didn't work five minutes in and get my phone out and whatever else it's a lot easier if i if you intentionally just put yourself in a place with others not knowing what it's going to bring you Mm -hmm. but just go i'm just going to be there as you said earlier on sarah do you think that, that that's it, that starting with others is really helpful?
2: I think so. I, I think it's helpful for encouragement, for for support, for the fact that it's not all self-generated, like you can enter into something. And again, I guess this is the, the prayer of the church, like yeah, something's yeah. already happening and you can just become and be part of it um, is all really important. And I think it's also important... Um, I know communities are more or less good at this but at their best as Peter said that they also help us keep being real about the fact that you know I'm just a schmuck along with all the other schmucks and I'm you know like I'm <laughs> struggling here and oh yeah I slept in this morning and I didn't. it's kind of like it just keeps a, that kind of a grounded a humility uh, look here we all are and muddling along and that's okay, you know. That's. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the community at its best is a, is a place where you can actually learn to more fully accept your own humanity, and, and be accepted, and, and and then offer that to others as well. And and they, that again, as I said before, I think if part of this ultimately is 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 also about continuing on the journey, continuing to grow, continuing to mature then that can only happen as, as we can be real about, about where we're at and if we, if we start by having to pretend we're somewhere else either to ourselves or to others we, we, we're stuck from the beginning so it's that kind of a space where it's safe to be real which is what a community can offer at its best is I think really key
0: yeah that's beautiful that's beautiful well the cathedral bells have rung in the background and i don't know if that's been set up as a way to end the episode but it's a nice feature at any rate there um sarah it's always a gift sharing a conversation with you it's lovely to do it in person again zoom was lovely but it's it's even more lovely to have you here in person thank you so much for your making time for us
1: yet again
2: Well, thank you thank you for having me for a third time and i hope you know we're We're not running out of things to say. No, (laughs) no, we'll
1: go for the half dozen. (laughs)